All right, if you have a Bible, please open up to Psalm chapter 1. And um, if you don't, didn't bring a Bible with you this morning, you can take one of the Bibles in the seat in front of you. And you'll find Psalm 1 on page 383 in those Bibles. Psalm chapter 1. A few years ago, um, I was driving home from Philadelphia. And on my way, as often happens, the New Jersey Turnpike ground to a halt. Right? So I, I'd learned a back way. I decided I was going to take this new back way I'd recently learned, which goes over to Interstate 295 around Trenton's and then up Route 206 to the Somerville Circle. And uh, the only problem was I only sort of knew this route because I just learned it and I wasn't sure exactly how to make the connection from 295 to 206. So what did I do? I pulled out my trusty GPS. And I knew I had to go through Princeton on Route 206 to get home, so I plugged Princeton, New Jersey in as my destination. I always love driving through Princeton anyway, right? If, if you've been there, it's, it's a quaint town. It's almost idyllic. It's f- full of well-kept old homes and stately historical buildings, uh, quaint shops and well-groomed lawns and tree-lined streets. And so it's a pleasure to drive through. And so I've got Princeton dialed into my GPS, and I sit back, and I let the GPS do the navigating. And first, it takes me right into Trenton. And that sure didn't seem right. I'd never had to go through Trenton before, but I figured it knew what it was doing. Then it turns me west, and before I know it, I'm crossing a bridge into Pennsylvania. And that really didn't seem right, because I know that Princeton is in New Jersey, but, but I figured maybe it's just taking me a different way, and there's a little corner of Pennsylvania that we're going through. It's a shortcut, you know, back into New Jersey. So I keep following until finally it takes me to a garbage dump in Pennsylvania. Seriously. You wonder if the programmer of that GPS had something against Princeton and a wicked sense of humor. <laughs> Well, here's what I learned from that situation. I eventually had to find my way home under my own reconnaissance. What I learned is that regardless, thank you, Liz, regardless of what a GPS says or what I might think, the road I take, it takes me exactly where it goes. (laughs) Let me say that again. That's profound. (laughs) The, (laughs) The road you take takes you exactly where it leads, right? (laughs) And that's what Psalm 1 is about. It's a simple psalm. It it tells us about two roads. And then it paints for us two pictures of the two destinations which are exactly where each of those two roads lead. Those two destinations couldn't be more different from each other. They're even more different than idyllic Princeton and a Pennsylvania garbage dump. To start, let's get acquainted with these two destinations. And to do this, we're going to do a little exercise. Um, so I invite you to take a minute to get comfortable. Um, we're gonna, you're going to picture this, so close your eyes if you trust the person next to you. And uh, picture the psalm as I read it, and then picture what I'm going to describe. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on this law day and night. 
that person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked, they are like chaff, which the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. So Psalm 1, keep picturing, pictures two vivid destinations where our lives can wind up. So imagine these two destinations. First picture, it comes from harvest time back in the days before machinery. When the grain stalks were good and dry, they would be cut by hand and then they would be taken from the field to the threshing floor. There they would be laid down on the ground and beat with sticks or or with straps to knock the grains of wheat off of the stalks. When this violent process was done, the straw would be gathered up, leaving behind the grain and lots of light, dusty, scratchy bits of dried stuff. This stuff was called chaff. And chaff was good for nothing, so the farmer would take a shovel or a paddle and toss the grain and chaff mixture into the air, and the chaff was so light that it would blow away, leaving behind the valuable grain which would fall back down to the ground. This process was called winnowing. So in that culture, chaff was a symbol of all that is fleeting and insignificant and worthless. It's the kind of stuff that belongs in the garbage dump. Back in the 1970s, they'd call it dust in the wind after the Kansas song. Some of you know that song. Today, we might call it spam. Worth nothing, annoying, in the way, to be disposed of. Okay, second destination I want you to picture. Picture a flourishing tree. Intentionally planted beside a sure, constant source of water. In arid desert regions like those of the Bible, trees were super important. And because trees were rare and and long-lasting, they became well-known landmarks. In in the Bible, we find Abraham living under the great trees of Mamre. We find kings um, reigning under trees because of the shade and the protection that they offered. In a place where the sun was oppressively hot and in a time when buildings were few and cramped and stifling, trees were prized for the shade that they offered. Even animals and birds found shelter in their branches. In a subsistence economy, a fruit tree was also a great blessing because of the healthy nourishment that it provided. For a desert traveler, a tree might be a welcome sign signaling that water was nearby. It was hard for anything to stay alive for very long in the sun-scorched desert, and so trees, some of them hundreds of years old, were symbols of endurance and steadfastness and vital life force. In Bible days, there was probably nothing else apart from God as alive, as dependable, and as beneficial as a tree. Trees were the epitome of blessing and provision. Okay, so now I invite you to think back over this year so far, your year. Which does your life feel more like, the chaff or the tree? Why? Take a minute. Talk to God about that.
Okay, so two destinations. Chaff or flourishing tree? Garbage dump or Princeton? (laughs) Which do you want your life to be like? Today's psalm teaches us which road to get or to take to get there. Before we look at the roads, though, let's develop a little bit further these two pictures of the two destinations. There are two ways of life that we wind up living, two kinds of people that we wind up becoming. And let's start with the tree. The very first word of the psalm describes the person who's like the tree. Blessed. Blessed. Blessed is is often translated happy, which is a decent translation. I've also seen it translated to be envied with desire. Um, you've got what everyone wants, in other words. The Old Testament scholar Bruce Walke says that for ancient peoples, to be blessed included three things. It included power, it included protection, and it included potency. And power and protection are pretty straightforward, but what does potency mean? Well, it means that things go your way. Whatever you touch turns to gold. Your tomatoes are always bigger than your neighbor's. Your grass is even greener than Scott's from the commercial, if you've seen the commercials. Uh, Your business is more profitable. You you bring home straight A's from school. Your prayers get answered. Your ministry efforts succeed. Things go your way. Potency. The, The last verse of the psalm sums this up well. The Lord watches over your way to give you success, to keep you from harm, to give you aid, to cause you to prosper. That's the tree planted beside streams of water. Well, how does that translate to us today? We don't live in Old Testament times, and the Old Testament we know had a very literal, physical sense of blessing. But for us who follow Jesus, didn't Jesus somewhat spiritualize some of that? Didn't Jesus command us to seek first his kingdom and not material things? And uh, warn us that to follow him requires that we take up our cross and we expect sacrifice and even suffering? What does it look like to be blessed through the lens of Jesus and his cross? Well, what kind of life did Jesus promise his followers? What does he promise those who take up their cross and follow him? Well, if you know the New Testament, you know he promises us a life of peace and joy. He promises us a life of purpose and significance. He promises us a life of love and belonging. Those are a lot of the things we really want anyway, right? Sure, there there may be troubles along the way if you follow Jesus. Even a mighty tree can be shaken by the wind. It it may lose a few branches in the storm. But a tree at its core is is rooted. It's solid. It's um, dependable and enduring. Do you know anyone like that? Do you know anyone like that? Someone who's, who's a pillar. Someone who's, who others can and do depend on. Um, someone who's generous, who has the means to help others and does help others out of that generosity. Do you know someone who has an impact, who, who touches others in positive ways and enjoys doing it? That's someone who's blessed. Being like a tree, though, is so different from being like chaff, which when the storm comes is utterly swept away like dust in the wind and is no more. Look at verse 4. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. 
Now, whether this judgment here that the psalm's talking about is God's final judgment or whether it's the judgment in a human court is debated, but the outcome's the same. These folks don't have a leg to stand on. They're guilty as charged. They're, they're convicted of living a useless, a useless life. And they won't get away with anything, according to the psalm, but will wind up living in shame and punishment and exclusion. They won't be allowed into good company, but will live on the outskirts of existence in the spam folder of life in the garbage dump. Verse 6 caps it off. The way of the wicked will perish like dust in the wind. They're here today, and tomorrow they're gone. Useless, hopeless, excuseless, pointless. So what's your preferred destination? Which kind of life do you want to have? There's good news, and that is um, that there are good, well-marked roads to each destination, and we all still have a choice of which road we take. So as we turn now to look at these roads, let's remember the road you take takes you exactly where it leads. The road to the life of chaff is explained in verse 1. To walk in the counsel of the wicked, to stand in the way of sinners, to sit in the seat of mockers. The first line there is about whose advice you follow and whose principles and rules you live by. Do you take your cues from who you see in the movies, from who you read about in books or what you read on Facebook? Is it from your friends? Is it from your parents? Is the advice that you take and receive good and sound advice? The second line in verse 1 is about the lifestyle you live. Way, in in scripture, this word way means way of life. And uh, it's about your choices, your habits, your priorities, your moral track record, so to speak. And then the third line is about the company you keep. To sit in the seat of mockers means to be one of them. It means to be a mocker among mockers. It's not to say you shouldn't be friends with anyone who does bad things, but it's to say, Choose your primary relationships carefully, your gang, so to speak. Because you will become one of them, like it or not. And of course, the wicked, the sinners, the mockers are all different ways of referring to the same group of people. People who live with no regard to God. And so are you one of them? Are are they your crowd? Are they your gang? Then the psalm says, if that's true, you are on the road to dust in the wind. To the spam folder of life. The road you take takes you exactly where it leads. The other road is described in verse 2. Their delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law they meditate day and night. <clears throat> People who are on this road delight in God's law. Now I've got good news for you. God's law here doesn't just mean the book of Leviticus and, and stuff like that. The psalm isn't just talking about the Ten Commandments and all the other laws in the Old Testament, often of which seem uh, obscure to us today. But rather, um, the, the psalmist is thinking in terms of all of God's word. But guess what? He is talking especially about God's commands, God's instructions for life, which we now have more clearly articulated and explained to us in the teachings of Jesus. What's the road to becoming a, a, light, a, a flourishing tree, to becoming a person whose life is a blessing and is blessed? 
Well, the psalmist says that the people who are, are on the road to that destination are meditating on God's word and especially on God's commands, on Jesus' teaching about how we're to live. So let, let me ask us, are you still relying on what you learned years ago in Sunday school? Or are you seeking God's heart and God's mind from God's word for your life today? Do God's commands bring you delight? Do you find yourself up late at night sometimes thinking about the vision that Jesus paints in his word for how we're to live? Are your roots sunk deep down into that rich, life-giving water of God's word? No? Whoops. <laughs> Are you sure you're on the road to being a flourishing tree then? Because remember, the road you take takes you exactly where it leads. Now, let me be really blunt. As I read this psalm, I don't think that many of us believe this psalm. We may love it. We may be inspired by it. But I'm not sure that we believe it. For one thing, first, I'm not sure we really believe that people who ignore God and, and live their own lives their own way are like dust in the wind. In fact, often people like that seem to be the ones who are prospering. And some of us may secretly be envious of them. More than that, often we may find ourselves following their advice or even imitating their lifestyle. Second, I, I'm not sure we really believe that the godly life, the life which loves God's law, is really a flourishing tree. At least not in this life. Yeah, of course, in heaven, God will make everything right and, and reward his people. But folks, this psalm isn't talking about heaven. It's talking about this life. According to this psalm, God wants us to thrive. God wants us to flourish. God wants us to really live. God wants us to experience blessedness, happiness, to be blessed and to be a blessing to others. Now, as we saw, that's not a promise that God will necessarily make you rich or give you a dozen kids like they were hoping for in the Old Testament. But there are even greater blessings now in Jesus' kingdom for those who love to delight themselves in God. Like living free from worry and fear and from the expectations and pressures of others. And like being in control of your emotions and your habits, your wants and your cravings your addictions. And like the rich satisfaction of seeing your life impact others as, as people come to admire you and respect you and turn to you for comfort or for advice. And like being able to enjoy who you are and finding pleasure in who God is making you to be. We've got to get out of our heads the idea that God is a cosmic killjoy who wants to take away our life and our freedom, and our fun. That's the lie which the road to dust in the wind is paved with. But according to this psalm, God wants to give us a life, a rich life. Third thing many of us may not really believe, and that is we may not really believe that it's necessary to delight in God's word and to meditate on it day and night to have this kind of life that the tree pictures. We think often that, that we can just take a few verses of scripture with breakfast at like medicine to get us through the day. 
But folks, the testimony of of the psalmists, people who have learned to live this life, who have learned to walk with God, people who have learned to really pray and communicate with God, their testimony is that God's word, and even and especially his commands, are a delight. And people who want to take the road that leads to a life like a flourishing tree will recognize this and they will meditate on God's words day and night. Remember, the road that you take takes you exactly where it leads. So where do you want to go? For those who want a life or their life to grow like a flourishing tree, the only road to take involves meditating on God's word. And remember, we're doing a series this month on what the Psalms can teach us about spending time with God. And Uh, The idea of this series is each Sunday um, to send you home with a tool that you can try uh, in your own time alone with God. Last Sunday, we looked at journaling as a tool you could try to deepen your relationship with God, to tell God exactly what's on your heart. Today, we're going to look at this tool of, of meditation, practicing meditating on God's word. So what is meditation? Well, you may have heard it compared to a cow chewing her cud. Um... That's a great picture. Chewing, chewing to get every bit of flavor, every bit of nutrients out of what you're chewing on. Another picture um, that you might find helpful is what our son Josiah did when he was a baby. Whenever we would give him a new toy or a new object, he was really curious. And so we call it him putting it through its paces. He, He would always take it. He would look at it. Then he would hold it far away and look at it again. Then he would shake it. He would bang it. He would touch it all over. He would turn it all around to see it from every angle. He would squeeze it. He would drop it. And of course, being a baby, he would put it in his mouth to see what it tasted like. That's what meditation is like. It, it's getting fully acquainted from a morsel or with a morsel of God's word. So we're going to practice that now so you can see how this works. Some of you are probably pretty good at meditation. For others of you, it's new. For the next few minutes, let's give it a shot using verse 3 of our psalm this morning. I'm going to read it several times, and in between, I'm going to give you some direction on how to meditate on it, and I'm just going to invite you right where you are to practice meditating. So here we go. You can get comfortable again. The person who delights and meditates on God's word is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Picture yourself under the shade of that tree on a hot day. The hot day part's not too hard. Feel its cool, the cool of the tree. Feel the gentle moisture being given off by its leaves. Smell it. Smell its leaves. Smell its bark. Hear its leaves gently rustling in the breeze. Hear the sweet sound of birds singing. They've found refuge and a place to nest in its branches. Now feel its rough bark against your back. 
Get up, wrap your arms around its wide trunk, see if you can even get them around. Hang on one of its strong, stout branches. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Now pick a piece of its fruit and taste it. Cool, refreshing, sweet. Sustaining the weary, nourishing the hungry. This tree's leaves don't wither. It's going to be here. Healthy, strong, dependable, protecting, nourishing for years to come. Its roots are, are deep down, tapping into the water that runs nearby. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaves do not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Now imagine your life like that tree. Imagine growing fruit which will nourish and delight others. Imagine being firm and unmoved in the fiercest storm. Imagine being dependable, constantly supplied by the water of Christ. Imagine prospering so as to bless many others. Being a source of refuge and shade. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. So now talk to God about the possibility of growing into that kind of person. About his invitation to take the road that leads to that destination. Because remember, the road you take, takes you exactly where it leads. So talk to God for a minute. Thank God for the ways this is already becoming true in your life or in the life of other people you know. Confess the ways that maybe your life is far from this. Tell God if you want more. Take a minute to talk to him.